Hey, Pubcasters. Welcome, welcome. On today's episode, our guest is Alec Heike. He is the CEO and founder of Sound Royalties. In this episode, we discuss royalties, finance, admin, the math of ownership. So if that's got your head spinning, kick back and check this episode out. Welcome aboard, Alex. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Tim. Excited to be here. Why don't you first start off and uh, give us a little bit about your background and how you got to this point in your journey? Sure, sure. So I, uh, my mother came from France. She was uh, raised by nuns in an orphanage. And my father had studied in Germany, then in Italy, and then in uh, France, and then the United States. And he was recruited by the U.S. Navy uh, to work with them as the civilian. And so I was first generation American born here in, in the DC area, born and raised there. And my life was more about riding my bike and playing music. And to much to the chagrin, I guess, of my dad, who had two PhDs and two master's degrees, he wanted me to cover the books more, but that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, so once I got to college is when I kind of pivoted, I, I loved music. It's my first love. It just wasn't my first language. I realized I could condition myself to play anything, but I really wasn't speaking. I couldn't create like these amazing creators we work with. And so I transitioned to software, did software and had a lot of luck there and did software for a, a decade, then specialty finance for a decade. And that takes us to about 2013 when I was really looking to come back to my passion, which was music. And, and, and I basically made a decision one day that I was going to, come to the music industry and be part of the music industry. And that brought me to the doorstep of this industry, I guess, around 2013. Well, that's exciting. And that's such a, it's a unique background to have. So you, you came in from a different angle and I, I love, you know, I was reading a little bit of one of your bios I found online and, and I like how you approached as you came in and you knew financing when in that area was where you're coming from. And you talked about really looking where there might be a gap or a need. Walk us through that process and what led you to, to starting sound royalties. Well, I knew I wanted to come to the industry and be part of it. And as I started to look at the industry, I realized uh, a big problem that we have, and that's how complex royalty flows and royalty streams are so complex that I looked at publishers and labels and said, you know what? That's way above my knowledge base. I had very little knowledge base of the industry, but I understood finance. And so I really focused in on the finance sector um, uh, to understand what was happening there and what I could bring to the table. And, and that's how I stumbled across um, the model that was needed. I, I saw that there were traditional banks that had entertainment divisions, but they had a lot of regulations and restrictions. And, and, you know, most of them were turning down 85% of the, the applications that were coming through their door from creatives. And then the private financial institutions were operating more on the model of acquiring the copyrights, you know, and, and they preferred acquire the copyrights. And if the creative didn't want to sell them, then they'd give them some loan that would eventually potentially foreclose on the copyright. And that wasn't a good look either. And so I decided to come to the industry more of a bank type approach, not wanting to own the copyrights and, but taking it further than the bank in the sense that not foreclosing on them either. Cause I didn't want to be viewed as having us do it on purpose. And it started from there. It was really sound royalties concept was born to not buy copyrights, not take them in default. 
Um, and then I saw the other, the other pitfall that could be viewed upon us is, listen, we would conservatively estimate what a royalty stream could pay us. Well, if it paid more, it would pay us much sooner, you know, and, and therefore increase the yield to us. And, and so I saw the ability to say, listen, we'll work with a fixed dollar amount for a fixed period of time. Anything above that's yours. If it comes up short, don't worry. Uh, you know, we'll, we're going to take that risk. Uh, but, you know, you now can have ongoing income. And that 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 was born the, the basic principles of royalties, not to buy, not to take ongoing income so we don't pay ourselves off sooner. And then lastly, to give people the flexibility of options so they can figure out what works best for them. And that's where it started. And, and at first it was too good to be true. But slowly people, as they started to look under the hood and really check it out, say, wow, this is what you guys are saying it is. And then we slowly became the good guys. And, and, and frankly, to this day, it's really about getting the word out there. It's really about helping people see that it isn't too good to be true. It is a, it is a viable model. We've substantially grown. We're about 50 full-time employees right now, and, um, but it, it's a good model. So would you consider how you uh, structure it? We'll talk about royalty streams on what you look at for to the, but what I'm curious is when you give the money, is it, do you consider it a loan in advance? Uh, how is that kind of structured for, for the, um, the creative? So it's a temporary assignment for a fixed dollar amount for a fixed period of time. So if someone comes to us and say, Hey, look, I need eight bucks. We'll say, if you want to pay us back in two years, here's how it will look. You want to pay us back in five years. This is what it looks. And it could potentially say, look, here's, it's going to be um, $2 a year for the next five years. So take eight, pay back 10, whatever the numbers are. And those are not real numbers, obviously, just to give you an idea of the model, but it's a fixed dollar amount for a fixed period of time. And they're structured as, as temporary assignments. Now we do have the instance where people come to us and, and, on the larger transactions, it's important for them to structure it as a loan. And again, we work with them. We figure it out. So depending on the, what the client needs, and that's probably one of the, the most important things to highlight in today's market as more and more options come available. It's, it's not a simple automated boom, one size fits all. Each creative that comes through our doors talking to a royalty specialist is speaking to our team and they're structuring something custom for them explaining it to them again and again and making sure they understand and are choosing something that works for them and is best for them. So, okay. Now that we know kind of what you do, what royalty streams are you involved in? As you know, probably from coming in, there's a lot. Now there's writers that typically get theirs from PRO, sync and mechanical money, which comes from labels, uh, radio airplay, TV airplay, that then you add the bonus. If you're an artist, You've got a whole nother set of royalty streams. Like, do you do you finance on all those? Do you look at all those, or um, uh, is there a specific one you tend to lean into? Yeah, that's a great question. And yes, you know, if you go all the way to the top of the pyramid, there's two copyrights, right? There's a sound recording master uh, recording copyright, and then there's a composition. We work with both and everything that comes down from those two. So yes, we'll work on the sound recording side and work with the distribution income or the digital performance royalties from sound exchange. Yes, we'll look on the composition side at the writer's share, the publisher's share. We've even expanded into now, we're doing touring advances. 
Uh, and so if someone comes to us and doesn't want to necessarily leverage their royalty streams to 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 um, get an advance, we'll look at their guaranteed tour contracts and we're doing tour financing. So just about any income stream, uh, repeatable income stream in the music industry, it's it's something we'll look at. I have to say that just kind of got me to tour financing. If there's one place that's the biggest struggle for young artists, especially ones that are on a, we'll just say new to their career, but not growing, whether they're on an indie label, a major label, tour support is so vital and it's hard for them to get. Labels don't have as much to usually give to that. I'm a publisher, so in general, we don't fund those things. Agents don't fund those things, but to know that there's somebody like yourself that's willing to take a bet on an upcoming artist that, that's viable, that could make a make a living on the road, but just needs that extra money. Man, dude, applause. That's 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 amazing. I had I didn't yeah. know that you did that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's beyond that. We help both sides. We help the up and coming creative, and then we work with the multi-platinum global superstars that have been off the road for two years. They're going back on, and now they need to fund their production, which could be seven or eight figures of production. Get all those tractor trailers and buses and the staging and, and everything else. And so we're talking to both sides and help both sides on all levels. Well, I, I think that's a, a massive, well, I love Alex is your just passion. You can hear it in your voice and anything I read about you, it was always led with your passion for music and, and knowing that there, that you've created something that is uh, going to be extremely helpful because I like you, even though I'm in publishing, I, I, I read also and, and know from talking to you that you like to see the creators hold on to what they own. Um, and I, yeah. I you know, it, it's tough when you see them, especially right now. And we'll get We can get into a little bit of this conversation about catalog sales. It's, the multiples are crazy, man. They're just crazy. It's hard to not tell them to not sell when we're talking such high multiples. But what would you? How would you have that conversation with somebody that's contemplating a catalog sale? What's your advice to them? Uh, I have a lot of advice for somebody that's contemplating a catalog sale. You know, we were founded under the principle of don't sell your copyright, but we completely understand that there comes a time for some circumstances, there's no one size fits all, that it makes sense to sell a catalog, whether the creative thinks it's gonna disappear, whether the creative doesn't want to deal with it anymore, whatever it may be. And so then it's, it trickles down to what is your goal? Is your goal to you know, see that music carry on and you wanna own a percentage of it? Well, then maybe you should think about who it goes to more than if you're just trying to throw it out the window and forget about it, even though it's your baby, right? And, and so uh, taking the time to understanding the value of what your asset is, and, you know, we can talk about multiples as well, but, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions of what catalogs are selling for, what they're worth. And, you know, as creatives head down that path, sometimes they jump too early, not fully understanding what their options are, how to structure a deal, um, you know, what to include in the sale, what not, how to blend the catalog, and it goes on and on. I mean, we can dig deeper in that, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors. Yeah, it, it, there's no one, as you mentioned earlier, one size does not fit all when it comes to this, and everybody's kind of in a, in a unique unique position. But what is a big mistake you send, tend to see in this process? Because you mentioned a few different things, and we could go deeper on some of those, but 
what what is the mistake you see guys and or girls the creators i should say uh um and do over that you you would wish they wouldn't like you want to shake and go quit doing that yeah so so one not shopping right you need to talk to as many people as possible and really shop it just talking to people that aren't true buyers of catalogs doesn't doesn't count two not understanding your catalog so they're assuming that you know, let me sell this publisher share because it it's, gets the higher multiple, but not understanding they could take the writer share, blend it with some of the uh, multiple the publisher share, and bring the the multiple up of that lesser valued writer share. Um, and same with the sound recording to blend their catalog. You're, I had a creative that was selling a catalog of eighteen hundred, eight hundred. I'm sorry, eight hundred over eight hundred works. Well, we looked at the catalog and said, do you realize only about 90 of these are generating any, any type of income? Why would you sell this whole catalog of 800 works? Why not look at the 90 that are? Carve that out. And, and he said, well, the buyer said they weren't interested in that. And I said, is that the only buyer? Did you go to the market with 800? Now you're trying to take them off the table. What if you went to market with 90 songs that you're taking to market? And sure enough, it worked out for him. The other thing is falling back on just... The, the multiple. Hey, you know, we had a, 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 a decent sized artist come to us that said, look, hey, Alex, I've got a 17 multiple from this reputable entity. And I said, oh, they're absolutely reputable. They're a great entity and a great buyer, but tell me more. And he said, so I think I'm going to take it. And I said, well, can we see the catalog, the catalog a little closer? Can you show me what, what is being sold? Well, we looked at it and realized that he was earning about $320,000 a year. And that's what he thought he was selling. And that he was getting 5 million bucks. That was a 17 multiple. Well, the closer we looked at it, we realized that wrapped into that sale was $180,000 in producer royalties. He didn't even know he was collecting. (laughs) And that I said, listen, you just took your 17 multiple to a 10 multiple. And he was pretty far down the path with that entity. And he's like, what do I do? And I said, talk to him. They're a reputable group. And sure enough, that company actually bought his catalog of the 320,000 a year for the 5 million. So he sold a catalog and kept 180,000. He didn't even know he was getting, right? That he almost gave up. So it worked out, but it's really talking to people that are in the know, understanding and working with people like we're not motivated to see someone sell and for free we'll talk to them and help them understand what they have what it'll get at the current market what the multiples are doing right now things like that well let me ask you this this is a good question and as an outsider so to speak i i i I can't really call you an outsider anymore you've been doing this for a minute but with your perspective and when you came in, how do you see us getting better here with the community? I'm a big fan of supporting the community, educate. What what are some things we can do to help move people's education along and help them kind of learn better? Maybe set up some classes online or something? Yes and no. I mean, things are going towards an independent world right now, right? It's so easy to record something and pay 50 bucks or 25 bucks even and and have it distributed across all platforms and so the industry is 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 changing to a degree but it isn't and so it's important for creatives to know that there are administrators out there there are business managers out there there are entertainment lawyers out there there are publishers and labels 
that can help them. And then it's important that they know all the different income streams, right? Because I've heard all too often a writer say, hey, listen, my, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm collecting my publishing. I, I got BMI. Well, no. What about your sync and mechanicals? Even if you did have them collect your publisher and writer share, right? And, and you know, we, we've got a global multi-platinum superstar that worked with us and works with us that came to us. And, and we looked at it like eight to 10 other people that come out of our in to work with us and, and we look at their streams he wasn't collecting everything and he had excellent teams surrounding him but what happened was is he had released some music with one label released uh two albums himself then released with another label so we looked at his sound exchange and said okay we see you have an artist account the rights owner account is with this label and that label where's your rights owner account because i'm getting sound exchange what are you talking about well, for that, those works you self-released, you need a rights owner account as well. He's like, well, how come so-and-so didn't, how come my label didn't tell me? Because those songs aren't with that label, right? It's, yeah. it's not their responsibility. They've got enough to worry about, right? How come my publisher didn't tell me? Well, that's on the sound recording side. That's not their job. And it's not just not their job. There's, this industry is filled with awesome, amazing people that care but they can only focus on what they can focus on and so much. And I'm sure if somebody had stumbled across it, they would have told them, but you know, I'd say eight to 10, eight, eight out of 10 that come through our door and not collecting everything. And, and you hit it, you know, we're looking at it from a different perspective. It's not an outsider's position by far anymore. We have thousands of, of creatives that we're working with as creative streams, but you know, PRO, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, they see their streams and maybe a little bit about what the others are doing. The publishers see the publishing streams and the performance income. The label sees the label, the distributor, distributor, and they mostly see their own. We see everybody's. And from that perspective, it's easier for us to point out, hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? And, and so find someone that's looking at it from a different angle, right? Uh, you may be surprised what you see from that view. And, yeah, and, and I'll add one more thing. I'll, sorry. I'll no, go ahead. Thing. Go ahead. This is good stuff. Yeah. So when I started in the industry, I did a little composition and sound recording. And then I focused on the composition. I said, a little chart and said, this goes to the writer. This goes to the publisher. Sync and mechanical to the publisher. And I had to chart. And that chart just kept growing and growing and growing through the years. And then our marketing team took that chart and they, they elaborated on it. And they built this 50 income streams. It's, it's a PDF document with hyperlinks. It's basically called 50 income streams every creative should know about and where to find them with hyperlinks. You, can, you know, the Mechanical Licensing Collective and it is on there and it has a hyperlink to go collect your royalties from them and it explains them a little bit. And so at a high level, I know everybody's going to gloss over when they start, you start talking at a low level of, of royalties. Just check off the boxes on that. Make sure that somebody is watching over everyone. Maybe take that document to your teams and say, hey, can you check off which ones you're watching for me? And then the ones that are not, maybe look a little closer at those. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is hosted by yours truly, Tim Hunzi, Executive Producer, Travis Myatt. Producer, Brandon Harrington. Mixing and editing by Casey Porter. And this has been a Dime Collective production. 